This is a production of the GSD Podcast Network. And from the heart of North America, it's time to answer the burning question, What the hell does Mike Bisson do? This community economic development podcast is part of the GSD Podcast Network. And now, you know him, you love him, you like to live without him, Mike Thyssen. Time for another podcast of What the Hell Does Mike Thyssen Do? The economic development podcast that spans boundaries and is solution-oriented. What we're really talking about here is how might a community be best prepared when there's a knock on their door for growth. Today we're going to talk about poop. And we're going to talk about infrastructure in general because, let's face it, you know, it's one of those unforeseen things in a community where, you know, you, I know not everybody figures out, you know, where their poop goes or when the water comes out of the spigot or why we pay for water and why we pay for that piece of infrastructure. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those unforeseen things that, uh, you know, you just got to kind of live with it. Um, and I'm talking about, you know, sewer systems and septic tanks and um, water towers, um, storm drainage, why we have storm drainage. Um, you know, and people wonder, you know, sometimes, if you're me anyway, people wonder sometimes, you know, what, how does a water tower work? Or, or why do we need um, this piece of infrastructure? And more to the point, why do people pay for it? Because um, in some communities you pay high, high price for it, and sometimes you don't. Um, there's an environmental uh, piece to it. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, inter- of infrastructure to talk about. Um, and when we talk about economic development, we really, you know, in, in sort of the new world, we got to look at how best a community can be prepared. And when you have site selectors and you have um, uh, potential companies that are coming to locate, one of the first things that they do is they figure, they, they, they ask you what the infrastructure is. So if you have an industrial park or a commerce park that is, you know, that is, that is shovel ready, uh, shovel ready means that the infrastructure is there. The sewer, the water, the capacity is already there. Um, broadband, I mean, Internet's now important. We'll, we'll talk about that in another episode. Um, but more to the point, when you're looking at this piece of infrastructure, it's the whole of the community. So if you're living in a community, chances are you're, gonna, you're, you're on a sewer system or on your, you're on a water tank system. If you're in a small community, it could it could mean that you're on wells and septics, but even then, a lot of small communities, wells and septics are um, they're breaking down, and sometimes uh, you you got to upgrade, and sometimes that upgrade does mean a new sewer system, um, and there's a a lot of pushback from citizens because they've never paid for, you know, a sewer system before, but it's critical, and you know, once you, you don't really think about it until like a water pipe breaks. And then you're, and then you know, you're under a boil order, or you don't have water, and, and you're starting to complain. Well, why don't I have water? Well, sometimes we need to to sort of tell folks, well, this is critical. And so, um, what what I'd like to do is I'd like to bring um, someone who's fairly, uh, uh, I don't want to call him an expert in poop, but a, but someone who's kind of an expert in this infrastructure piece, um, and uh, and and what the process is in terms of of why we need this, this piece of infrastructure. Um, so I'd like to uh, introduce John Craig. Uh, he works for Midwestern Engineers, and uh, he's a, uh, what he does is he helps uh, communities 
understand the projects and he helps build project readiness so that um, they can have an effective uh, uh, water treatment plant or, or wastewater plant. Um, he helps uh, the engineers design uh, the uh, the infrastructure needed for a community. Um, I also uh, uh, have a bit of a bonus with John because uh, he fully understands that um, he was a former mayor of, of a city, and so he fully understands that when you become mayor, you become in charge of that enterprise, and that enterprise is the water, the system, the sewer system. You're inheriting that and it's really the mayor and the leaders that kind of look at this infrastructure and have to, you know, either decide what's what's going in, what's not going in, and they need help from an engineering company. So John's got this holistic view about um, about uh, the almighty sink, the almighty toilet, so to speak. Um, you know, but really, when you think about watering your lawn or taking a bath, uh, flushing the toilet, filling up, you know, your glass to drink, you cook, you clean, you wash your car, you drink water. We're 90% water. Humans are 90% plus water. Earth is 75% water. Let's face it, we need water, but where does it go? More, and more to the point, how should we pay for it? And so I'd like to bring John on. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Hello, Michael. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Sure, sure. And I, I think there's no one better in my mind to talk about poop than you. And, 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 I, and, and I say that with a degree of respect because you've been on both ends of it. You've, you've been both a decision maker. Yeah, yeah both ends of poop. And <laughs> not sure what that means, but well, I mean, you've had to make decisions because you're a former mayor, and you do. So, so let me start there. It's kind of an origin story. You know, when you became mayor, were you aware that you were inheriting this enterprise known as their water sewer system? I guess a little piece of me in the back of my mind was destined for public service. I, I went to college with that in, in mind, uh, but. Until I took office as mayor, I must admit I knew very little about the wet side of the utility industry. That's a kind word. (laughs) I I knew very little about water and sewer. I knew the numbers. I knew how to. I knew how to to manage the budget. I knew how to uh, do capital improvement planning, but the, the systems, the infrastructure, and the health and safety, all of the environmental components. You talk about a learning curve. It's one that doesn't take a long time if you invest yourself in it to uh, to get up to speed. And, and there's some very simple uh, elements that once you understand, you can have a, a fundamental expertise in in, in the systems, and uh, which is necessary. And, and then it, you just learn as you go. Okay. But it's a uh, it's application. You know, it's 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 learn, it's taking your, your your basic knowledge and applying it to whatever field you're in. There's people that make successful career transitions from 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 one field to another. Sure. Kind of like what you did, because you trans you transitioned from a mayor to getting in on the front end of this kind of infrastructure development. So, briefly, tell me about um, um, what specifically you do in terms of working with communities and understanding that they need these kind of plans for infrastructure. What sure. exactly is it that John Craig does? The- I know this isn't a commercial for Midwestern, but our firm does uh, probably 70% of its work mm-hmm. in communities that are uh, probably 7,000 people and smaller. I kind of call it a rule of sevens. There. Sure. So we do a lot of work in, in rural Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so when you're dealing with rural leadership, you're dealing with folks that are 
that are from one end to the other that are extremely knowledgeable, and you deal from people who uh, sometimes just manage by, I call it management by opportunity, because they, they, they don't necessarily have the, the budget, they don't have the, um, uh, the planning aspects involved with very small utilities that, that really don't work on investing in that infrastructure until they're forced to by some kind of uh, decision maker who has said, you must now upgrade your system and it must be done to this way and here are your choices, choice A, so, choice B. So, so you're really talking about unfunded mandates? It is unfunded. It's it's unfunded mandates, but it's it's something that, that um, we should be responsible about. Mm-hmm. Um, I always draw a comparison to utilities. A lot, a lot of times, I think that the communities that own their wet infrastructure, to use that that that, that word, mm-hmm. they sell themselves short. Um, they are a utility player the same way that a gas utility is, the same way that a power utility is, the same way that, that telephone or broadband uh, providers are. Those, if you think, if you, if you step back and you look at utility infrastructure as a big picture, so many times the electric companies are on the front end of economic development Mm-hmm. They are aggressively planning for growth. They are recruiting. They're, they're part of the teams that are out there recruiting those companies, uh, promoting plant expansions. What can we do to help you increase your footprint and, and our level of service to you? Sure. And they I want know that, more customers. They want, yeah. the, you know, they want more well, revenue. And I know that a lot of the electric companies are on the front end of getting sites ready. Absolutely. And they, they actually invest mm-hmm. and partner with county economic development organizations to prepare those shovel-ready sites and those site-certified locations. Yeah. That's, that's uh, and, and that you bring up a, a, an incredibly good point is, um, when you brought up leadership with, you know, counties or in, in, in towns, um, do you often see some towns stop, you know, enacting, you know, way, uh, rate increases because they're afraid that my, you know, I'm, I'll just be blunt. They might. They're afraid they might not get elected the next time, and then all of a sudden Absolutely. you're dealing with you're dealing with thirty years of of really low rates, and then all of a sudden you're dealing with you know an unfunded mandate that you have to upgrade your system for thirty years. Right. You know. Um, to me, it's it, it's there's, there's two components to this. If you had a set of scales in front of you, one side is accountability, and that's being accountable to your investors, your owners. So an, an electric utility or a gas utility is, is, is they're uh, accountable to their shareholders. So they're trying to create revenue. They invest in their system to give themselves the, uh, the best cost benefit for, for every investment they make. And then on the other side is accessibility. And this is where the rate payers come into play. Because if you have a complaint about your power bill, let's go back a step farther. If you have a complaint about how, how much it takes to fill up your gas tank when you pull into the service station. Service station, I don't think we have those anymore, do we? What would be a, well, I don't know. Con, a convenience store, maybe? Well, you know, in New Jersey and Oregon, you could still pump your own gas, so you'd need that. <laughs> and to go full circle, I don't know if we want to talk about gas station restrooms. Those, those are oh, damn like themselves. So yeah, you may, we, well. We can't uh, stay out of that side of the poop discussion. No, no, well, you know, I don't know exactly where that poop goes, but... <laughs> Mostly on the floor sometimes. Yeah. So, Ooh, sticky. Okay. Uh, 
and we digress. Yes. But the accessibility side of this, okay, so if you if you pull into the gas pump and it's it's ten cents higher that day, or it's you, it costs you twenty dollars more to fill up mm. your tank, who do you complain to? Who do you go to 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 complain? It's hard to to knock mm-hmm. on the door of the president of, of Chevron. It's hard to knock on the door of the president of Shell Oil and say, why am, why am I paying this much for my gas? Why am I paying this much to fill up my car? Don't you know I have to take the kids to ball practice? Don't you know I have to take the dog to the vet? Those kind of, those kind of discussions aren't, aren't held. But when you look at that local ownership of the wet side utilities with water and wastewater utilities, the, you have that accessibility to the decision makers. Uh, you can complain to Mike or Bill or Tim or whoever mm-hmm. who sets on that city council or sets on that board of works or sets on that town council or is the mayor. You can complain to him when, when you're at the ball game. You can complain to him when you're filling up your car at the gas right. pump. And because of that, I guess government exists um, for two things. It exists to either take care of, of services that the private sector is either unqualified to take care of that that happens a lot with public safety sure or that the private sector has chosen not to because of the cost benefit uh, or the lack of the ability to make money at it mm-hmm. so why should a water and sewer system be lumped into that category it, it shouldn't be it's a utility it was done early as, as quality of life enhancement for for these communities just like rural electrification Mm-hmm. The water and sewer systems needed to be put in place for the public health and safety of that community. So as those systems were built, um, as with any utility system, there ought to be a way, essentially, to make money at sure. uh, at least At least break even. Or at least have something to where you can continuously improve your system. Absolutely. So you don't, because, you know, if, um, I've, I've gone into a few communities where they're they're raking the current leadership over the coals for the water rate increase or the sewer rate increase. And I'm trying to tell them, don't blame the current leaders for finally stepping up and, you know, passing this because you've got 30 years of previous leadership that kicked the can down the, down the street and now they have no choice. So it's, it's not, it's not the current mayor's fault or the, or the current leader's fault. Um, but at the end of the day, it's educating those um, those users, the necessary need for it, or else you're going to have raw sewage running down your street. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, um, so it may not be a popular decision to make investments in your system, but it may be a necessary decision. And you see the utility companies, you see you see the gas utilities, the electric utilities make those decisions, and all of a sudden you're passed down with a two or three cent rate increase on your kilowatt hour. Okay. And, and you're done, under, and it's done on a somewhat regular basis. Sure. As opposed to municip- a municipal cycle where you may not see an annual increase, but, but you'll see a 30 or 40 or 60% increase mm-hmm. every 15 to 18 years. And uh, the other phenomenon, though, as you mentioned uh, when you talked about uh, the, the cost effectiveness of, the, uh, of, of water utilities, it's probably one of the cheapest bills you pay. But it's also the one that, that you have the most control over, again, because of the local leadership. Sure, sure. So where does water come from? Well, in Indiana, we basically have two sources, either surface water or groundwater. I see. So 
A community surface water or as a lake or mm-hmm. a river. Is this is this common in the whole Midwest? Yeah, as far as I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, groundwater is from an underground aquifer. Um, you know, people have been pulling groundwater for years when they dig wells. Right. But, uh, some communities are blessed to have some pretty good aquifers out there. And that leads to a bigger discussion in Indiana right now with some of the areas that aren't blessed with as good a water supply. Sure. And that's a, that's a current buzzword and a current point of emphasis for the state legislature as they look to uh, find solutions for long, long-term long water plan. We're trying to avoid some of the problems that other states have had. Sure, sure. Well, I do know, I do know there was one community up north where uh, they lost all their water. And that's because the farmers tapped into the aquifer and the farmers used it for irrigation. And so the town lost their entire water and there's a big, there's a big uh, uh, controversy with that. But so water comes from rivers, water comes from below or, or, uh, so how does it, how does it work when you draw water from the river and put it in like a water tank or uh, well, the first to go to the tap? So, so if I'm drawing from the river or an underground aquifer, how does it go from there to when I turn on the shower head or I, I get water well, your, in my... Your first step is treatment, obviously. Uh, you got to make sure that you're giving a quality product, something we, we take water for granted. Uh, everyone had heard of the crisis in Flint, Michigan, where the lead samples were sure. high. You have to um, make sure that you're promoting the health and safety of your community. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of emphasis when we talk about homeland security, especially in our post-9-11 world. Uh, water, public water supply could be a vulnerable asset when it comes to uh, protecting protecting the citizens from, from terrorist attacks. There are, uh, uh, you know, obviously there's uh, horror stories from years gone by, you know, mass deaths due mm-hmm. to, you know, outbreak of different diseases and, and, what a, and sometimes that could be spread by water supply. So it's a, uh, so critical that the, the treatment aspect is, is done properly. Sure. So the treatment plants exist too, and there's different different treatment processes for surface water versus groundwater. Some communities have such good aquifers that very little treatment is even necessary, and that's what you see a lot with rural wells too, in, in places that don't have a water distribution system. But water quality is a concern for the well, just as well as it is for uh, you know at, at a rural homeowner's home, as, as opposed to what it is for for a whole community that's drawing from a well. So. Sure. Sure. Um, and then let, let me get to the chase at the title of the episode. So after I flush my toilet, where does all that, where does all that go? It doesn't go to the water plant. Well, it goes to, um, right, to treatment again. It's, it just reverses the process. It goes back through a treatment facility, and then it's gone to the, uh, uh, then it's discharged mm-hmm. back into the environment after that treatment process is completed. I, and that's clean water that actually gets discharged into the environment. And so what is all the... Where's all the rest of it go? The There's a combination of processes that leads to separation of the liquids and the solids. I see. And the solids are either um, land applied, uh, used as, as fertilizer mm-hmm. uh, for uh, local agriculture, or they are landfilled. Mm-hmm. That's really the two aspects where you get rid of your, um, where you get rid of that. Now, there have been some creative communities, too, that have done some irrigation work mm-hmm. with their effluent uh, sure. with, with the water leaving. Like a, like a reed plant. system or... Well, uh, even I'm familiar with one community that uh, uses it to uh, irrigate um, a uh, sports complex. Oh, okay. So uh, just for the, uh, 
again to save them water costs and it's a, it's a win-win for, um, for that so there's some neat things that can be done with sure. with affluent sometimes too if the, if the logistics and the geography are close enough to, to have a use for it certainly certainly well and then um, there's another piece that we need to kind of include in this in terms of infrastructure is stormwater you know sure. it does rain and you know we, we draw water from the from surface and I know rain gets to the surface but Sometimes when it rains in a community, all of you, you have certain amounts of concrete and roof space and everything, and all that water goes into a system. And a lot of communities have the system combined with the wastewater called a combined sewer operation or CSO. And now there's this mandate to separate those because maybe you can explain. Sure. Well, a CSO community, what they face when, when your storm system and your um, – when, when sewer systems were originally designed – uh, you're putting a pipe in the ground, and wh why not combine them? Mm -hmm. So why not get rid of our rainwater the same way we're getting rid of our wastewater, was, right. was an original thought. But what happens because of that is if a system backs up, you can have overflows. And those combined sewer overflows, even though they're primarily rainwater, mm -hmm. would still contain waste. So you have an environmental uh Problem. You have a health and safety problem with um, with if you drive down the street after a rain. Sometimes in, in the summer, you might see kids outside playing in a mud puddle. Right. Well, you don't want them. Well, and that's not necessarily mud. And then that, well, <laughs> there you go. So there, that's the problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, there's been an effort to separate those systems and, and have a dedicated stormwater system and a mm -hmm. dedicated wastewater system. Sure. And when you do that, that can come with a very healthy price tag. Yeah. Uh, there are communities that are spending into the, you know, the millions and multi-millions of dollars to separate these, these systems. Yep. And because of that, they see they, those homeowners, again, see those bills go up. Because yep. where did all that cost gets passed to? The users, the end users. But there's this understanding the end users have a stake in, the, in, in this too, so they can have safe water to drink and their kids can play in cleaner water rather than, you know, seeing sewage running down their street or, or even sewage getting discharged back into the, into the rivers to draw clean water because water intakes aren't all that, are, you know, aren't are sophisticated enough, but maybe not that sophisticated to take, you know, turds into your water tank and... And, and clean them and everything. So, well, I would hope the treatment plant can, can filter that. But yeah. I, I guess the point you're making, though, is is, and we've all seen probably our, our third or fourth grade uh, uh, science class uh, chapter on on how the cycle of water, how it how it works from uh, river to uh, evaporation to you know getting in back into the rain clouds and through the ocean and just, just how a drop of water can travel uh, from our, our faucet to, you know, to a, to a rain cloud over the Atlantic Ocean, and that cycle just continues to repeat itself. Mm -hmm. I had um, two good friends of mine that were uh, both mayors in, in neighboring communities, both of which got their water from uh, a river, from the same river. Both of them discharged their effluent water from their wastewater treatment plant into that same river. And one summer, as the drought conditions got a little worse than usual, mm -hmm. uh, in jest, one mayor said to the other, 
you know, in a, in a, in a, it was in a mayor's roundtable group, and one mayor said to the other that uh, due to the drought conditions, we're worried about our friends downstream. Said so. If you go to the restroom today, please flush twice. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a lot of truth to that from the yep. cycle of water. So that's why it's important that every community does their part to sure. keep our environment clean, and every community takes takes the management of their own assets, mm -hmm. you know, with with that serious level of responsibility. Sure. Um, so you you brought up something earlier about how um, you take some of the stormwater, some of the some of the tree water to to uh, uh, irrigate the sports park. Have you seen other sort of best practices for storm drainage um, that helps you know in terms of the communities educating the community or something that's uh, uh, featured that that yes, might I have a few people that kind of look at that and go, oh, I see what our storm water is doing. It's watering these plants in our downtown or something like that. Uh, if a community is an MS4 community, and I'm trying to remember now what um, what the acronym stands for, but uh, I'd have to I always, that's one I never have on the tip that's of my tongue. M as in Michael and S as and then in Sam four and, four. and the number four, yes. Okay, Bill's checking it out right now. All so. right. So, 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 so uh, MS4 community is a, is a, is a requirement for uh, a community that has a population of over 10,000 people. Uh, generally speaking, and that requires you to manage your stormwater and to regulate your stormwater and to uh, put in place controls for, for ensuring the quality of your uh, stormwater runoff. So in those communities, there is not only a requirement for best practices in the management, but there's also a requirement for public education. Uh, you've probably seen in some communities the, the logos that are on a storm drain that yes. says uh, report spills, uh, no chemicals down this drain, and there will be a picture of a, of a fish or something. You know this, you know this drains to the river. You right. Know, be careful with what you put. Be careful with what you put in here. Right. In other words, don't change your oil and put it down that. Exactly. And you also you also see some communities that um, uh, well, there's a lot of buzz about green infrastructure. Seems like that's settled down a little bit, but it's it's still very much a best practice when when it makes sense financially to implement green infrastructure, rain gardens, and things like that that, that capture and retain stormwater um, to pay for these stormwater uh, projects. You are seeing communities implement stormwater utilities the same way they would have a water utility or a wastewater mm -hmm. utility. Now, that can be a sticky local conversation. Sure, because it's an additional fee. Well, and people refer to it as a rain tax. Yeah, and so let's dispel that. It's not really a rain tax. It's improving your infrastructure and making sure that your community is safe. That's correct. And it's really, sometimes I've seen communities only implemented at like a dollar or two dollars a month just to, per user, just to... You know, keep the thing going. It's not that much. When you In think a small town, it could simply pay the salary for one person that goes around and cleans out the catch basins yeah. and makes sure that everything's flowing as, as well as possible. Yep. Or so, it could pay for you know multi-million dollar projects that used to be matched federal grants or those kind of things that could. Uh, really make some significant improvements in your in your system. Sure. And when you are a CSO community, to come full circle, if you come back to a CSO community, you 
um, when you separate those sewer systems, now you've created another layer of infrastructure with your stormwater that you have to be able to maintain. Yep. So, okay. Municipal separated storm sewer system. Got it. Got it. All right. So there, we, there is a whole discussion in the engineering world about whether stormwater is one word or two. Yeah. My company well, has adopted that it is one word. Yeah, and, and so do I. But however, now that I know what MS4 stands for, maybe we need to rethink that because if storm sewer, would, would, would that be one word? So. Yeah, well, you know, it, I, I put it all in one in one because I'm, I'd rather just, you know, I don't know about spaces in between words. I I do wonder sometimes, you know, spaces between letters, but that's another, that's that's a, that's for another episode or another therapy session for me. So, um, but um, this is um, it, it really kind of educates me, and I and and I know a lot about you know the systems and everything about um, about this, but this this has been pretty enlightening about you know the more the specifics in terms of how this all works. Um, so let me um, let me ask you this: in terms of economic development, um, and we do in, in I mentioned the commerce park and the industrial park, and how uh, we have to get that we have to get that um, infrastructure in place uh, for something that could or maybe not happen in the future in terms of business growth. The idea is that you want to bring in businesses or you want to expand your current businesses into certain areas of your county uh, to grow and then have new jobs, to um, have more houses, um, to grow your community. Um, It's critical to have that piece of infrastructure. So what happens when you got folks that sort of push back on that in terms of that growth? That's a great talking point, Michael, because that's a catch-22 for so many communities. the, you are limited by your revenue. Mm-hmm. You are limited by the ratepayers. So to, to, to extend utilities to a new location for the benefit of, of the what may come um, has to be balanced. It's necessary in many cases, but it also has to be balanced with what you're able to pay for. And if you're turning to a funding agency for assistance, whether it be the USDA, United States Department of Agriculture, Rural Development, whether it's the state um, uh, CDBG program through OCRA, whether it's, uh, I'm dropping a lot of acronyms here, but when, when you turn to those funding agencies, they have a responsibility. And, and if you're regulated, if you're regulated by the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, they have a responsibility. Or any, any, every state has these utility regulatory. Sure, okay. to advocate for their, um, the current rate payers. So you have to balance the, you have to balance the, the revenue with, with a, a realistic plan for growth. So that's, that's something that a local decision maker really does have to balance. I but see. at the same time, a site selector, the days are long past from taking a, a, a site selector or a company president out to a farm field and saying, this is where your new investment could be. Yeah. You know, we, we, can enti- we can put you in touch with Farmer Jones and we can, we can run you a line and we can, and you can make all the promises in the world and you can have the, and you can have the, the human capital and, and the, the money in the bank and you can have the, the people in place to make that happen. 
but the site selector is not going to waste his time going to a location that does not already have certain boxes checked. Right. They are not going to fool with it. They don't want to take the risk. They don't want to waste their time. Uh, they want to go where uh, the community is ready. Mm -hmm. Readiness is, is so important. So site readiness connected to community readiness yes. is where we're really looking. So let me jump off with this question, this sort of last question. Um, where do you think the industry is going in terms of in, you know, sort of peer into the future, and where's, where's, where is all this industry going? Well, the current, um, I'm glad you asked that, because the current uh, emphasis right now is, it's, it's really kind of an exciting time for folks like us who are dealing with uh, that readiness component, because uh, there is now policy that matches uh, the, the stated priorities that, that we all have talked about for quite some time in, in making better local decisions. And that, that there are now mandates for an asset management program for water and wastewater utilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and how they have done that, again, an unfunded mandate, but um, they have tied it to uh, your permitting processes for your utilities. So, uh, public law, let me think of it here, uh, 126, I think it is, uh, this year, went in effect July 1 uh, in Indiana, uh, requires now an asset management plan for any utility who is seeking uh, funding through the state revolving fund. Okay. It also, for, which is one of the largest funding agencies for utility improvements, you know, in Indiana. Uh, the other... A uh, component is any time uh, you do a plant upgrade water or wastewater, uh, the, low, the state environmental regulatory agency in, in Indiana, IDEM, is uh, requiring a uh, life cycle cost-benefit analysis for the major components of your infrastructure and your plant, which essentially, again, is an asset management plan. So what an asset management plan does is... Um, an asset management plan has uh, three different components. It has a financial component, mm -hmm. it has a technical component, but it also has a managerial component. So an engineering firm can step in and certainly help you with your technical. We can go out and show you where everything is, we can give you life, we can give you the cost, we can give you replacement costs, we can give you probability of failure, we can give you all those things that you would you need to make a good decision on the hardware in your system. The financial component would show your rates, show your project your revenue, and then tie it back to the technical side. Mm, okay. And help you establish that capital improvement plan for the next five to twenty years. But the third part, which most intrigues me, is there is now a managerial requirement. And uh, that comes back to that original discussion with how local leaders make their decisions. And being able to quantify your succession planning, being able to quantify your levels of training for your staff, cross-training people from uh, you know, your meter readers versus your plant operators um, versus your, your, your frontline supervisors, your foremen, your managers, those kinds of positions, 
and also, but more importantly, your decision makers, your, your board level decision makers. You can have an aggressive, uh, knowledgeable uh, operator slash manager who wants to make improvements, who wants to make a system better, and can run into you know, that group of maybe grumpy old men that will not spend a dime unless mm -hmm. someone is, is threatening them with a lawsuit. Right. Uh, so as you adopt this, this, this managerial plan as part of this asset management plan holistically, uh, it's attempting to change the culture. We've seen uh, we've seen this now also with uh, roads. Oh yeah, with uh, the you know states uh, their their uh, state highway departments are now requiring uh, asset management or asset uh, yeah, map, yeah a it's map an asset of, management plan yeah. for payment. Yep, or else they won't get funded, That's and right. they got to have it approved by an independent entity or a technical assistance program that that says yes, this is this is okay, and there's experts in that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's critical to have the plans because in a previous episode we uh, had an architect on and he was talking about how plans are important. So, really, for communities, they got to invest in plans and then actually implement those plans somehow, some way, with unfunded mandates and, and a few other things. But at least they have a direction where they can go in. So Yeah, the beauty of the payment asset management plan was that it, it did come with money. Yeah. Uh, there, there was, you know... You, Essentially, for a small community, they could get up to four times their previous purchasing right. power right. Uh, through, and again, funded through a not-so-popular decision to raise the gas tax. Right. But, uh, but that's helping in, in terms of, of, you know, getting, getting their streets and, and roads, you know, up to par so that they can inflect the, the rain tax when it rains and they, they run, you know, the water runs down. We come down. full circle. Yeah, we come full circle. So, so we so. can attract that new gas station with clean bathrooms. Yes, and, uh, yep, and then uh, you have to use the hose to wash off the, the gas station bathroom floors, and yep, I'm, yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Yep, and, uh, you know, really, we're not really full of uh, poop in, in in this respect. That was a bad pun, but, um, uh, but uh, John, I want to thank you very much for this conversation. It's been, it's been enlightening, um, and uh, I'd like to have you on in a future episode because I want to talk about um, public safety. Because sure. what folks also don't know is John's also a, a volunteer firefighter, and uh, he's got a couple of really good stories to tell about fire stations and why you know even the public safety side is is important to communities and how that helps economic development. Because when you look at some site selectors won't uh, go into an industrial park unless uh, there's a certain uh, mileage away from your local fire station or your local police station. Um, I know in a couple of communities. Uh, there, some uh, industrial parks or some parks actually have to have a fire station on site. So uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a future episode. I'm sure. Love to invite you back on if if uh, this this talk about poop didn't you know keep, keep, you know drive you away or anything. So uh, anyway, John, thank you very much for for coming on and, and talking about uh, some critical piece of infrastructure. So I'm going to move on to what Mike is high on. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm high on working parks that use stormwater as a feature. Uh, there's communities, and I think John alluded to this earlier, where uh, when it rains, um, storm, storm drainage can go and help water a park. Uh, more to the point, they have, uh, there's some communities that actually have signs, uh, not just, you know, don't dump here, but actually education signs that says, did you know that stormwater is helping um, uh, improve this park? Um, and I really like that. 
Um, I'm also high on the kids' book, uh, Everybody Poops. I don't know, that's kind of, you know, left, left turn on that, but um, if you want to educate kids on, on poop, that's, that's a good one. And uh, I also like the fact that communities uh, who progressively look at their rates instead of kicking the can, I said this earlier, street down for the next guy. Um, I'm probably going to talk about that in an episode on leadership coming up. I'm really going to plan hard for that one because um, I want to find the right kind of person to, uh, to, to help me uh, understand that leadership is really critical when it comes to, to looking at uh, community and economic development. So, uh, With resource time, uh, I've got a couple of resources for people to take away. There's a uh, uh, for a little more information about uh, maybe reading some articles and looking at some visuals as far as how water and wastewater infrastructure works, uh, I found a website called HydroTech. Uh, they have a pretty good explanation on how water and wastewater works, including how a water tower works. Matter of fact, there's a there's a water tower um, park. Uh, I think it's in Ohio. That it's a trail. It's a walking trail with storm with storm drainage. It's right under a water tower. Then uh, it's an exercise trail. So every station you go and exercise, there's um, a plaque there that explains how a water tower works. And so it's really kind of a nice education of the public piece. Um, and then uh, the USDA, John mentioned this, the USDA has programs to help communities build or improve infrastructure. Uh, for rural, they have a rural development uh, part. Uh, every state has one. Uh, every state usually has a, um, they have what's called a community development block grant that uh, check your states for uh, what's eligible and what's not, but uh, most of the times those states have um, dollars to go into the pieces of infrastructure. And then, of course, the EPA has online pamphlets and brochures. So uh, with that, I want to uh, thank John Craig again for, for uh, being part of this episode. You can find John Craig on his Twitter feed at jcraigmei, that's J-C-R-A-I-G-M as in Mike, E as in Edward, and I as in industry. That's John Craig MEI. That's John Craig's Twitter. Uh, feel free to uh, send him questions. Uh, if you want to send me questions or drop me comments, um, suggestions, or anything like that, uh, I'm at uh, WTH Mike Thyssen. That's what the hell. Or WTH Mike Thyssen. Uh, that's my Twitter feed. Uh, thanks to our producers, Bill Stein and Amy Moore, uh, part of the GSD Podcast Network, and of course to Stephanie for the bumper. We'll talk to you next time. What the hell Mike Thyssen does? Jason Burton. Jason Burton, you're my hero.